You are listening to The Gateway Church, located in Ferrisburg, Michigan. You can learn more about us by visiting thegateway.church or like and follow us on Facebook, where you can watch full services, keep up with all that is going on, and get connected. Well, church, we're going to dive into the book of Mark again. We are taking the year 2020 to get our minds around what God's Word says in the book of Mark, the gospel of Mark, and we've decided that this this first season of the year, we've titled it uh, with a little mini-series called, Who is Jesus? Just turn to your neighbor and say, Who is Jesus? And that's the answer we're looking for, who is Jesus? And we're saying uh, that not only who is Jesus, but why does it matter to you? And it's important for us to get our minds around this. And we know that Mark, so far we've talked about it, it's kind of a fast-paced story. And it's really, Mark is writing decades after Jesus ascended into heaven. Uh, He's looking back on the story, but he's writing from Peter's the Apostle Peter's perspective. And we believe that it's God's Word, and we believe that it's it's powerful, and we believe that it's like God's Word is kind of like the, the banks of a river that keep us on the right track, and it's important for us to highlight that week in and week out. But so far, we've already answered some questions. Who is Jesus? And we've, we've looked at some ideas that, first of all, Jesus was a teacher. Everyone say, teacher. And when he taught, he taught with authority. And what's great is we can just acknowledge that Jesus was and always will be the finest orator, preacher, speaker, teacher that there ever was. And I just, I would have, I would give it just about anything to have heard Jesus face to face. But we get to hear him through his word, and certainly we do that. And as he taught, he grew in popularity. His fame uh, was, was, his name was, was, uh, reverberating through the the town. And his main message was to get the gospel message out. And he was a teacher. The second thing that we've looked at is that he was also a healer. He healed the paralytic man. He he healed the person with leprosy. He healed uh, the mother-in-law. And then there were people lined up outside the door. It said the whole town gathered at their at the door um, and and they were and Jesus would lay his hands on them and he would heal them one commentator said that Jesus is the great physician in other words he's the healer and then he went on to say he comes into our need he makes a perfect diagnosis he provides the final and the complete cure and then he pays the bill for us. How about that? And I love that, that Jesus, he is the healer, and he can be your healer today as well. Not only was he a teacher and a healer, he's also a leader. How many of you know if no one's following you, you're not a leader, right? <laughs> and, uh, but Jesus had people following him. He, couldn't get, he could hardly shake them. He, he had to get away early in the morning to spend time with the, with the Lord. And uh, he was recruiting a team early on in the book of Mark, and people were following him. And, his, and again, his team was growing. So he was a leader, a healer, a teacher. And then last week, we got our mind around the story of the paralytic man where we learned that Jesus was the Son of Man and He was the forgiver. 
And I love the story. In fact, when I was a kid's pastor, I used to, we used to, I have fond memories of preaching the story where the friends bring their, uh, bring the guy that's the paralytic and they push through the crowds. They get to the top of, uh, of the house. They cut a hole in the top of the room and they lower their friend to Jesus. And just getting your mind around that, it's so much fun. And, uh, but it, well, what we see in that story is that Jesus had the power to save. He could be the forgiver. And when he was asked about that, because he said to the man, your sins are forgiven. And when the people are like, well, only God can forgive sins. And they ask him directly. He says in verse 10, he says, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And the same power that healed that man, that saved that man, is available here today. Jesus was a forgiver. Uh, Warren Wiersbe, a commentator I love to read, he said, the greatest miracle ever performed is forgiveness. It meets our greatest need, it costs the greatest price, and it brings the greatest blessing and the lasting result. And if, again, if you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, we will, we will introduce you to him at the end of the service today. Who is Jesus? He's a lot of things. And we're building a case here. Mark is building the case. And I want you just to flip to page 50 in your copy of God's Word, uh, Mark, that we are uh, tracking with. Or you can look at Mark chapter 8, verse 27. Uh, this is where the culmination of who Jesus kind of comes to a head, and then it goes on from there. But it says, And Jesus went to, with his disciples to the village of Caesarea Philippi, and on the way he asked his disciples, Who do people say I am? This is an interesting question. Someone this week may ask you, Who do you think Jesus is? And the way you answer it is important. The people there, they told him, some say that you're John the Baptist. Others say you're Elijah. And others say one of the prophets. And then Jesus turned it to him. And this is even more important. But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him, you are the Christ. Jesus Christ, the Messiah. That's who Jesus is. And there's a lot more that we're going to talk over the next few weeks. But today... We're going to hone in on one more characteristic of who Jesus is. Jesus is not only the healer, a leader, right, a forgiver. He's not only these things, but he is also a friend of sinners. And I believe that the, the application today in regards to this characteristic of Jesus, uh, why we should care is incredibly significant, and we'll get there. But we're, before we get to Jesus being a friend of sinners, I want to set up the story, because there's kind of two parts to the story. On the first part of the story, well, really, uh, let me back up even more. Uh, this story is told that we're about to read in all, three, in all three of the synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and they're all connected to the previous uh, story of the paralytic man and the 
friends pushing through on top of the roof, cutting a hole and dropping their friend through. And last week, what we see is that Jesus for, is a forgiver of sins and has the power to do so. And what's interesting there is that uh, the paralytic, they thought the greatest need was for him to be healed so he could walk. And uh, he must have been a good guy. Just, you know, get your mind around it. Because he had friends who cared about him. It doesn't say anywhere that he was paying these guys off to get him there. He had advocates, and they bring him to Jesus. But let's just recognize that he could have gone to heaven being a paralytic without walking. And I know this is sensitive, but in our, some of our cases, and I know that some of you are struggling with this, cancer does not keep you from going to heaven. Heart disease does not keep you from going to heaven. Diabetes does not keep you from going to heaven. But your greatest need is that, in the greatest need of the paralytic was he needed his soul to be healed. And that was Jesus, his primary concern. And so he healed the soul of this paralytic and he says, your sins are forgiven. And then as we move into this next story, the question now becomes, well, how much sin could Jesus forgive? Is there enough sin, or is, does he have the power to forgive my sins in my situation? And I think we're going to answer that question. So let's look at it. Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 13. And he went out again beside the sea. And I love that Jesus, we live here on the lake shore, and there's lots of water around. And uh, Jesus was a man of nature. He loved uh, teaching by the sea. It says, and all the crowd was coming to him. So he's growing in popularity still. And he was what? He was teaching them. He was primary to be baptized, to, be, to repent and be saved, to be baptized. And, uh, and it says, and he passed by, and he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at a tax booth. And he said to him two words, follow me. Those are the same two words that he said in Mark chapter 1, verse 17, to Andrew and Peter and to James and John. He said, follow me. And look what it says Happened and Levi rose and he followed him. This is absolutely a huge moment, especially when you look at the paralytic man in the previous story and this story put together. In the one story, a good guy gets saved, his sins are forgiven, but in this case, we're going to see in a second, the worst in the city now is called out by Jesus and he turns from his evil ways. And he's forgiven, and he starts walking with Jesus. And it's kind of mind-blowing. The second part of this story goes on. It says, and as he reclined at the table later that night at his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes and the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does Jesus eat with the tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard this, he said to them, and some of you have heard this before, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but to call sinners. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this section of Scripture that's so powerful, so poignant, so, uh, so meaningful. And Lord, I pray that in these next few moments, through the foolishness of preaching, you would capture our hearts. Get our hearts around what you really intended for us to know. And Lord, I pray that you'd be speaking here. Do trans 
transformation uh, type work this morning in our hearts and our lives. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. On the first part of the story, Levi getting called out to understand why that was so significant, why that's so huge, you've got to understand who Levi was. One commentator said that Levi would have been like an IRS agent today. And I don't know what you think about IRS agents, but you know, a lot of times we run from them, right? And, and in that culture, Levi would have been looked down upon. Even though he would have been educated, he was an outcast because he would have been a Jew working for the Roman government. And Jews despised their fellow Jews who were tax collectors. When you became a tax collector, it's like you turned to the dark side. Everyone say tax collector and just shake your head like, oh, tax collector, tax collector. And when Rome was conquering different cities, different territories, what they would do is they would take someone from that area and they would place them on roads that were previously used at no cost. And now they would tax people to go on the same set of roads and people hated it. The Jews hated it. The, the, the religious leaders, no one liked these tax collectors. And they were, they were vicious and they were working for Herod Antipas who was considered himself to be the king of the Jews, and Jesus calls Levi out and says, now you're going to work for me, the king of the Jews. And we don't see that specifically, but the thought of that is, is amazing. And as a tax collector, a Jew working for the Romans, Levi would have been considered a traitor, a turncoat to his, to his fellow people. And it was common news, common knowledge, that tax collectors cheated people. And they would collect what was required, but then they would collect more than that. And they would keep extra for themselves. I wrote in my, the side of my notes, paint a bad picture. And I was trying to think of what's the worst you know, paint, you know, picture I could paint of who a tax collector was. And I thought maybe this would do justice. That the, the tax collector, they worked in the region there in Galilee. They would have been like the Galilean mafia, if you get your mind around that. And you say, well, prove it. You know, where, where does it say that the tax collectors were so bad or that they were cheating? Well, you can go to Luke chapter 19, look at the story of Zacchaeus, who was a tax collector that was called out by Jesus. And when he got saved, he, he, he repented and he said, I'm going to pay back what I've stolen twofold. The Pharisees, the teachers of the law, the religious leaders, they saw tax collectors as the enemy and the enemy should be shunned. And Levi most likely would have been known to the people there. It wasn't that big of a community. He had probably taxed Simon and Andrew and James and John in their fishing business or on the coming and the going. As we go back to the story that are linked together, the paralytic guy, right, the good guy, and now the tax collector Levi, who's the not-so-good guy. And the question is, is how much sin can Jesus really forgive? And when Jesus said to the worst in the city, Levi, follow me, the first readers or the first hearers of that, it was a jaw-dropping moment. They're like, did we just hear that right? And Jesus forgives sins even for the worst in the city. 
And that makes a good point for us today. It doesn't matter what you've done, where you've been. Jesus loves you, and he offers forgiveness. And that's good news. And I get it. Sometimes I've felt in my own life <laughs> that I have messed up so bad. I'm like, oh, again. Or, you know, God, how could you forgive me? And you might be in a position like that right here, right now. And I just want you to know that there's nothing you can do to make God love you anymore. And there's nothing you can do that would make God love you any less. And that's good news. And if you don't, that doesn't resonate with you today, you need to take that truth because I guarantee you this week you're going to rub shoulders with someone that needs to hear that. The love of Jesus, his forgiveness is so great. And that's on that first side of the story. But today we're not going to focus on the forgiveness so much. Uh, but I want to focus, and where my heart was drawn, it was to the idea that Jesus was a friend of sinners. I mean, I've been asking people all week, I said, you know, what do you think of tax collectors and sinners? And I've heard all different kinds of answers and, you know, people saying different things. When I asked Pastor Rachel, uh, I said, Pastor Rachel, what do you think of tax collectors and sinners? And she says, just right off the top, she says, I don't like them. And I was like, really? And I said, well, Jesus did. And she's like, oh, no. You know, she backed up. And, and, uh, but, but I would ask you, what do you think of when you think of tax collectors and sinners? And look at the story here. What did Jesus think about tax collectors and sinners? Let's pick up the story in verse 15. It says, after he called Levi, he's now reclining at the table in Levi's house. And many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. For some of us, if we're with tax collectors or sinners types, we get uncomfortable. But it appears in Scripture here that Jesus is right at home. He's reclined. He's relaxed. He's spending time at Levi's house. And in the ancient Near East, to have fellowship, to spend time, it was to accept the company you're with. And so you never go in someone's home unless you accepted who they were. And who's at the table? It's Levi's friends, right? He calls for a party. It's more of the same. And so there's more tax collectors, more sinners. These were not the respectable types in the city. This was a bunch of outcasts, so to speak. I went last night to a, a party that my neighborhood uh, did uh, at a house, and there were probably 50 or 60 people there, and they, these people were nice people. I mean, they, we, I enjoyed myself just chatting and talking and going from one conversation to the next. How many know, if you know me, I thrive in those situations, right? And so I was, I was enjoying myself, but none of those folks were like the tax collectors or sinners, and we'll talk about that in a second. And what's crazy is in this story, what's implied is that Jesus should have known better. He was arousing uh, opposition at a social level and a cultural level, a political level, and even a religious level. And look at what it says in verse 16. It says so much that the scribes and the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with the sinners and the tax collectors... They said to the disciples, why does he eat with these outcasts? 
And I was thinking, well, what would that look like today? What would that look like in our circles? And I don't want to answer that question for you, but I would like to pose another question. What type of person or group of people, if you were put into a room or if you were invited over to their house, that when you went inside their home, you would feel a little squirmish? You would feel a little uncomfortable. What type of person comes to mind? My mind went to a couple years ago, downtown Grand Haven. There was a group of cross-dressers that came. How many remember that? It was in the news. Our small group talked about it. Uh, where's Rocky Nichols? You remember that? We talked about that. And, and if, if we, I was invited into a home of, with some cross-dressers, I, I might feel a little squirmish. I don't know. But or maybe for you, if, if you were planted in, a, in, in East Lansing at a frat house party, and you were put into that situation, would you feel comfortable? For some of you, you're like, yes. And some others, you're saying, no, I would feel horrible. Or what if you were sitting around a table with some businessmen that were known to be cheaters? And even worse than that, all the guys around the table have had affairs and were, were adulterers. Or what if you were put into a home of a guy that ran the, uh, the, the rental community on the lakeshore who was the worst slum lord, so to speak? Or what if you were in a room with drug dealers or prostitutes? What, what would make you squirm? For them, it was tax collectors and sinners described in the story. And what we see is that Jesus broke cultural norms gender norms, social political norms, and the acceptance of sinners was more important to Jesus than following these cultural norms. Jesus was a friend to sinners. Let that sink in. We go back to the story of Levi. He follows Jesus home, or Jesus follows him to his home. In Luke's account of this story, in, uh, it, it says that that Levi had to leave everything behind. So it cost Levi a lot to follow Jesus. And then he throws a party. He's hanging around Jesus. And I'm questioning myself, and I'm asking you, what is the takeaway? Why does that matter? Uh, and I'm thinking to myself, shouldn't we do the same? Invite those that are far away from Jesus into our lives? And I understand having appropriate friendships. I'm not saying that we should send our kids uh, off to the wolves, so to speak. But at some point, shouldn't we befriend our neighbors and our coworkers and our enemies that are far from Jesus? Shouldn't we reach one more? We talk about our, our, our uh, theme here, our mission statement is to connect with God, with each other, with the, with the world. Three things, and the reason is so we can reach one more. Everyone say, reach one more. And the idea there is that there's one person in your life that if they didn't know Jesus, if they didn't find Jesus, and they were to slip into eternity and would spend an eternity away from Jesus, and you were to go to heaven, you're saying, man, I wouldn't even want to go to heaven unless so-and-so was to go with me. And in the context of this circle, and you look at the way you've lived your life, let's say over the last week or over the last month, do you even care for the one person in your life? Do you care for 
the tax collector and sinner types. Let me make it even more poignant, if that's a word. Do you spend time with unbelievers? When's the last time you spent some time with a group of sinners or people that are pre-believers, I would like to say? And as I sat with that this week, that is convicting to me. And I know in our minds we can justify a whole lot of things. We can give kickback and say, I get it, I get it. But I don't have anything in common with these people. Or I don't, I don't want it to affect my family negatively. For me, if I go back a couple years in my life, I had kind of built in uh, areas where I could spend time with, with people that were uh, you know, pre-believers. I used to play basketball twice a week before I tore my meniscus. But it's tougher today. You know, we're raising our son and, and our daughter, and, or, and we kind of end up in our own little Christian bubble. And there's excuses that we all come up with. Well, it gets dark out so early. You know, I, can, you know, I just want to go home and shut the garage door. And, you know, my neighbors, they're not out anyway, right? Or I get tired after work and I don't want to, you know, entertain or have people over. Or it's not my job anyway, is it? You might ask. Or those type of people, whatever makes you squirm, they make me feel dirty. They use bad language and what they talk about or the way they act. And I don't want to whatever you fill in the blank. And if you would never say that, I get that. But how many of us live with that type of reality? Our actions are speaking louder than what we would say. And I just feel like, for me, I slip into a self-righteous mode at times. And I would just ask us, are we like the Pharisees and the scribes in this story? And then what did Jesus say about that? Let's look at it again. Verse 16, so the scribes of the Pharisees, they, when they saw that Jesus was eating with these outcasts, these people that made them squirm, the tax collectors, the sinners. They're asking, why does he eat? And then in verse 17, when Jesus heard that, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but to call sinners. Those words are so powerful. And by the way, when it says he's called, the, he didn't come for the righteous, there's no one righteous, according to Romans chapter 3, verse 10. It says there's no one righteous, and even if you said, well, wait a second, and then it says, not even one. And Jesus came to seek and to save the lost, Luke 10, or 19, verse 10. And the truth in the understanding that I'm experiencing this week as I'm studying is that Christianity is not for good people. <laughs> and until you know that you're sick, you won't go to the doctor. And the truth is, we are all sick. Terminally sick. No amount of philanthropy or generosity or kindness or caring or serving will get you to heaven. Only the great physician, Jesus, 
And the good news is that he does provide forgiveness and he befriends us along the way. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the power of this story. And I pray that over these next few moments, Lord, that you would capture our hearts. And Lord, that you would draw people to you. And God, that you would do in these moments what only you can do. You save. Save us from our sins. Save us from ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen. With your head bowed and eyes closed in this place, I'm curious. I don't know everyone here. And I know we have some first-time guests because of baptisms. And I don't want to take advantage of a first-time relationship. But I do want to let you know that if you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, we want to offer you that gift. It's a gift of salvation. It's a free gift. And in just a moment, I'm going to pray a sinner's prayer. And that prayer can be your prayer. You can agree with me and accept Jesus as your Savior. And you would only do that is if you're ready to turn your life to Jesus. If you're sick of the chaos, if you're sick of the sin, if that's you today, I want you to pray this prayer with me. And as I pray, there's five candidates for baptism that are, uh, we'd like for you guys to slip out and prepare for baptism. And that will give you some time to do so. And again, if you are interested in being baptized today, we've got someone in the back here, uh, right at this back door that can get you uh, shorts and a t-shirt and a towel. And so there's no reason to wait, no reason to delay. If you need to be baptized, and we'll meet underneath this cross here in just a few moments. Rest of the five can slip out for sure. Praise the Lord. Let's pray this sinner's prayer. Lord, I'm sorry for the sin of my life. I've made a mess. I've not followed your ways. And Lord, right now, I'm asking for forgiveness. Please come into my heart. Make my heart clean. I believe that you died on the cross for me. I believe that you rose from the grave. And you provided a way for me to live with you forever. And Jesus, right now, I'm asking that you would come in and make my heart clean. Do it, Lord. And I'll do my best to serve you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. With your head continue to be bowed, eyes closed. If you're here and you're saying, Pastor, that's, that was my prayer. I agreed with you in prayer. I'm just going to ask that you would just lift up your hand right where you are. And uh, no one's looking around, just me. I want to just connect with you in, in a few moments here. We have some resources, some next steps for you. Who is responding this morning, second service, saying yes to Jesus? Just slip up your hand right where you are. Anyone at all? I don't want to miss anyone. Okay. Yeah. Is that a hand in the back? Yeah, for absolutely. Absolutely. Anyone else? Thank you. Put your hand down. Anyone else? See, and that's me. For the sake of the one or maybe two in the back here, I just want to just take another second. When you confess your sins to Jesus, he is faithful and just to forgive you. He cleanses you from all unrighteousness. So when you agree in prayer and you pray that prayer with me, what that means is that you are saved. That Jesus is your Savior. And as a follower of Jesus, he's saved you now. The first thing you should do 
is take the next step in water baptism. And uh, again, we've got, we're prepared to do so. I don't want to put anyone on the spot, but you certainly could uh, participate today if that interests you. Hallelujah. There's one other thing I want to say, and I want to put one more slide up on the thing. This last thought, I want you to write this down in your copy of Mark that you've been tracking with. I want you to write this down. This is the last thing I want to leave us with, a challenge. This has gripped me this week since I heard it on Monday when I was studying. This is the statement that no true Christian goes to heaven alone. Let me say that again. No true Christian goes to heaven alone. And what that means to me is that we have a responsibility as believers to share the good news. We have a responsibility to be friends even to the worst, to the outcast. And I just want to challenge you that if you're like me and it's hard or that it seems inconvenient or it feels uh, like you're a fish out of water when you're you know, spending time with those that are pre-Christian, I get it. But could we ask the Lord this week to give us opportunity to make a difference, to let our light shine, and to see if Jesus doesn't draw more people to him? If you're interested this week in saying yes to that idea, saying yes, God, with God's help, I will make opportunity. I'm going to keep my eyes open. Just lift your hand. I will reach one more. I will make it a priority to pray. I will do my very best. Just slip up your hand right where you are. And I want to pray with you. Lord, we thank you, God, that you are on the throne. And Lord, we thank you for saving us. And Lord, I pray now that you would capture our heart for those that are lost, those that are hard to find, those that are, 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 are uh, the most difficult at work or in school or in the neighborhood, or in the family. And God, I pray that you would do a great work in and through me, in and through us, Lord. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Don't be surprised when God gives you an opportunity this week. Open up a door for you to make a difference in someone's Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message from the Gateway Church. If you'd like to find out more about our church, such as service times, giving, and ways to get connected, visit us at thegateway.church.